Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our series regarding Jane Manning James and the racism that she was subject to during her lifetime, even as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I know we've kind of gotten sidetracked a little bit on some of the things that are said in this book that we've been referring to called Saints, Boldly, Nobly, and Independent. And that's one reason why we're even discussing this topic again is because there is a section on Jane Manning James' faithfulness as a member of the church. And of course, when you're talking about the racism that she felt, the racism, of course, comes from her own church. And that's what we've been trying to bring out. And of course, you cannot discuss this without bringing up the restriction regarding blacks and the priesthood. And our problem with the way this book brings it out, that saying explanations for that restriction varied, it says, but they were speculative, not the Word of God. Now, of course, we disagree with that. We think that there are a lot of references that we can easily cite to show that leaders of the past— did believe that the restriction was the Word of God, and they believed that the reasons for the restriction were just as much of God. But one of the things that I want to bring out as we wrap up this series is going back to the essay that is on churchofjesuschrist.org. It's a history essay titled Jane Elizabeth Manning James, where it talks about Jane's faithfulness, the fact that she once attended the New Canaan Congregational Church back in 1841, but then a year and a half later, she converts to the LDS Church and makes a pilgrimage from the East Coast to Nauvoo, Illinois, and the struggles that she went through trying to get there. And it brings out in this essay how she was denied boat passage because of her race, and she had to end up walking 800 miles to get to Nauvoo. And what's telling about this first paragraph is it says, racism was an obstacle Jane would confront the rest of her life. And you have to remember in the context, the rest of Jane Manning James' life was living among Latter-day Saints and living under the authority of the leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And this is where we pick up today's show, because we're still looking at page 132, where it says, like other black saints, Jane had done baptisms for her kindred dead. She had also asked to be endowed and then be sealed by proxy to Walker Lewis, one of the few black saints to hold the priesthood before the restriction took effect. Now, the essay brings out how Jane Manning James was married to a man named Isaac and how they were divorced in 1870. But then in 1890, Isaac comes back to Salt Lake City. He renews his church membership and, according to the essay, formed an amicable relationship with Jane. When he died one year later, the funeral service was held in her home. 
it doesn't give us the impression that the relationship picked up as a husband and wife, or did they get remarried? It doesn't say anything like that. It was just an amicable relationship. But the book goes on to say, on later occasions, she, Jane Manning James, asked to be sealed by adoption into the family of Joseph Smith, but each time she petitioned for an endowment or sealing, Joseph F. Smith, or another church leader, had upheld the church's restriction. In other words, Joseph F. Smith, who would be the sixth president of the church, would deny that petition because blacks were not allowed that same kind of a privilege as other members. So she is experiencing the racism that is embedded in LDS theology at that time. You would think that that would be very disheartening for someone like Jane Manning James, who is trying to show that she is a faithful member. But the book goes on at the bottom of page 132 to say that the Relief Society came up with what they thought was a solution. What does it say? With the help of Relief Society General President Zina Young, however, Jane had received permission from church leaders to be joined for eternity with Joseph Smith's family. In response to her request, they had prepared a vicarious ceremony that joined Jane to the family as a servitor. Well, let's stop there. As a servitor. What is that implying here? Well, it's implying, as it says in the history essay that we made reference to this week, that she would be sealed to the family. In fact, I'll read it just to make sure I get it exactly right. Church leaders eventually allowed her to be sealed by proxy into the Joseph Smith family as a servant in 1894, a unique occurrence. Although she did not receive the temple endowment or family sealings during her lifetime, these ordinances were performed in her behalf in 1979. That's one year after the church changes its position regarding the restriction of the priesthood for black members. In response to her request, the book says that they had prepared a vicarious ceremony that joined Jane to the family as a servitor. How is that going to strike a lot of modern Latter-day Saints? Well, the Oxford Dictionary says a servitor is a person who serves or attends on a social superior. I mean, right there, that tells you that she is a black woman who is going to have to serve Joseph Smith as a you want to say slave, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, a social superior is the white person, Joseph Smith. And it says that Zina Young acted as Jane's proxy in the ceremony while Joseph F. Smith stood in for the prophet Joseph Smith. Now, Bill, you might think maybe that's going to make her happy. Maybe she's going to be pleased that she gets to do this. But the next paragraph says she's not happy. Page 133, top of the page. Although she felt dissatisfied with the ceremony, Jane had continued faithful. Quote, I pay my tithes and offerings, keep the word of wisdom. I go to bed early and I rise early. I try in my feeble way to set a good example to all. Bill, let me ask you this question. Do you think this is the same kind of attitude that many Latter-day Saints have today as the reason why If all else fails, they were a good person that they should be somehow allowed into the celestial kingdom. I would say that I've I've heard Latter-day Saints say things similar to that, 
it always begins with the word I. And notice she's doing the same thing. I pay my tithes. I go to bed early. I try in my feeble way to set a good example to all. You see, when it comes to salvation, and I don't know if we can be absolutely correct in assuming that this is what she's saying regarding why she should be saved, because it looks like the context is, regardless of how she's treated by other white members in the LDS church, she still feels satisfied that she's done her best to be a faithful Latter-day Saint. But you're right. If you answer the question, how do you know for sure you are saved, and you respond first with the word, I, you probably got it wrong. Because if you're going to bring out something that you have done, then you don't get what the New Testament gospel is all about. I've often said that the correct way to respond to a question like that should at least begin with the word, he, he paid for my sins. He died on my behalf. He forgave me of my sins. It's not something that we have done, but it's everything that Christ has done for us. Well, Jesus deals with that issue in Matthew chapter 7. There are going to be many, Jesus says, that will say, Lord, Lord, look at all the good things that I've done. And his response is, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. And I think that is a very sad thing that's going to happen at this great white throne where people are going to be throwing out their works and none of them are going to be good enough. And so as nice of a person as Jane might have been, she certainly had a lot going against her being a black woman in a white society and especially in an LDS society that she feels that somehow the good works that she did do would somehow qualify her. She does not understand what the gospel's talking about according to the Bible. Well, then the next paragraph goes on to just reinforce the fact that here is a black woman in the church trying to live a faithful life, but being constantly disappointed by the leadership in her church. In 1902, Jane asked Patriarch John Smith, Joseph F. Smith's older brother, when she would be allowed to receive her endowment. Quote, be patient and wait a little longer, he had said, assuring her that the Lord had his eye on her. He promised that the Lord, quote, would be far better to her than ever she had dreamed, end quote. To the end of her life, she retained a hope that she might one day receive all temple blessings. And of course, she didn't. She didn't receive them during her life. It has to be done by proxy later on, 1979 to be exact, as we read according to this history essay. But it makes you wonder, Eric, when you're a person like Jane Manning James, who has seemingly sacrificed so much and being disappointed so many times by her own leadership, by her own peers, by those who were close to her, you would think, is this really the true church? I mean, that's something that I probably would be asking myself. Is this really the true church that I'm being treated like this? And they're pointing to doctrines that they claim come from God in order to support the prejudice that she is feeling. It must have been an awful feeling for Jane Manning James to go to sleep at night knowing this. I'm sure there's a Latter-day Saint out there thinking, well, there was a lot of racism that was going on during those days. There were a lot of Christian churches, perhaps, that were racist. How could we answer that objection? I think first off to say, okay, yes, there were many Christian pastors who were wrong, but we're supposed to be talking here about the living prophets. And these men were teaching that blacks were inferior in their very nature of to who they were because of the color of their skin, that somehow they had sinned in a previous life. 
if these are God's representatives and they are official living prophets, then there's something wrong with that. And can we really trust anything they have to say? Well, I think you're right in bringing up the fact that there are probably a number of examples that you could point to within Christian circles that we would shake our head and go, eh, that's not right. I mean, we do read about prominent people in Christian church history who, for instance, had slaves. And we would say, no, that's wrong. And I think Lincoln said it best when he said, slavery must not be good because no man wants it for himself. I struggle with that. I look at some of these professing Christians, especially during the Civil War era, that were strong, devout Christians, but at the same time supported slavery. I have a real problem with that. I don't know how that coincides with the golden rule, that's for sure. But yet the church, the LDS church, claims that they're the one that God has his hand on. That church is the one that God speaks to. That's the one that God is specifically guiding. And yet they seem to fall into the same aberrant behavior as other people. They try to make it sound like this was a common practice and thought of the day, which it was. But should they be participants in that common practice and thought of the day? I would argue No, if you really are the only true church, as you claim you are, you would think that you would be a cut above the rest of us that are a part of what you claim to be this great apostasy. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.